Creutzfeldt-Jakob Disease, Considerations for Perioperative Care, by Deborah Anderson. Abstract. The unrecognized presence of Creutzfeldt-Jakob Disease, CJD, which can remain dormant for decades, poses serious health risk to both patients and perioperative clinicians. Without a current understanding of the relevance of the disease, symptoms can be misdiagnosed as other diseases and treated inappropriately. A brain biopsy is often considered an appropriate method for CJD testing pre-mortem, but this can give false results and would best be performed post-mortem. Clinicians need to be knowledgeable about the potential presence of CJD and take appropriate action to prevent the spread of this disease. The purpose of this article is to increase perioperative nurses' understanding of the signs, symptoms, and progression of CJD, identify potentially high-risk procedures in which high instrument infectivity is possible, and educate perioperative nurses about the diagnostic testing and resources available to them and their patients. Perioperative clinicians must be knowledgeable about how to protect patients and themselves from exposure to transmissible and rare diseases, such as Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease, CJD. By providing staff education and implementing preoperative screening tools and practices based on current research, clinicians will not only be able to recognize patients who are at risk for CJD, but also be able to decrease the exposure of patients and staff members to CJD. Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease is a fatal brain disease that is caused by misshapen prion proteins that can spread across a person's brain for years. Prions are proteins that are found in cells. They are harmless unless they become folded or misshapen, developing into the infectious form and causing this disease. Symptoms may resemble other neurologic disorders until the disease becomes advanced. Prion disease, also known as transmissible sponge form encephalopathy, TSE, can occur in animals and humans. Spongiform describes the appearance of infected brain tissue, which resembles a sponge when viewed under a microscope. Active prion disease leads to deterioration of the brain, causing neuron loss and brain damage. Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease is the most common human TSE, but TSEs are also common in animals. Bovine spongiform encephalopathy, BSE, that is, mad cow disease, can affect cows. Scrapie is spongiform encephalopathy that affects sheep, and chronic wasting disease is spongiform encephalopathy that affects deer and elk. Worldwide, CJD affects approximately one person per million people every year. This number increases in people older than 50 years of age. In 2015, approximately 481 people died from CJD. For some, the incubation period can last up to 50 years. Because of lack of reporting, accurate diagnosing, and correct testing, there are likely more cases of CJD than have been recorded. Patients with CJD are frequently misdiagnosed with other disorders, such as Alzheimer's disease, dementia, psychiatric disorders, and Huntington disease. An autopsy is imperative to determine if the cause of death is CJD rather than one of these alternative diagnoses. Prions are not destroyed with standard sterilization methods. The World Health Organization has identified high-infectivity tissues, for example, brain and spinal cord, lower-infectivity tissues, for example, blood and lymph nodes, and tissues with no detected infectivity, for example, bone and sweat, for TSEs. 
Creutzfeldt Jakob disease has been transmitted from exposure to certain high risk tissues from an infected person. However, it is possible for transmission to occur from exposure to tissues or body fluids identified as lower risk, for example, corneal transplants and blood transfusions. Therefore, if a patient with active prion disease undergoes surgical procedures, there is a risk for the surgical equipment and instruments used to become contaminated with prions. Intraoperative providers, sterile processing staff members, and pathology personnel may be exposed to the prions if the instruments and equipment are not handled properly during and after the procedure. If it was unknown that the patient had CJD, surgical instruments used on an infected patient may be recirculated for use during other surgical procedures after an inadequate sterilization process, potentially exposing others to the disease. Healthcare workers should always follow standard precautions and take care to avoid self-induced injury from instruments and prevent contact of infected tissue with open areas of their skin. Several cases of exposure have occurred in the United States. In 2014, at Forsyth Medical Center in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, 18 patients were exposed after neurosurgical instruments were recirculated after use on a patient who was later confirmed to have CJD. Exposures reported in 2013 included five patients at Cape Cod Hospital in Hyannis, Massachusetts, eight patients at Catholic Medical Center in Manchester, New Hampshire, and two patients at a Veterans Affairs Hospital in West Haven, Connecticut. A substantial exposure occurred in 2002 at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center Presbyterian, Pennsylvania. At this time, no patients who have been exposed to CJD from surgical instruments in the United States have developed CJD. Well-planned CJD protocols and precautionary methods will go unused if healthcare providers are not knowledgeable about what CJD is, the signs of its ambiguous presentation, the risks of iatrogenic exposure, and the correct ways to diagnose it. Healthcare providers also should be aware of their facility protocols related to CJD. The Joint Commission urges providers to be aware of the possibility of CJD and have updated protocols in place. Perioperative nurses have the power to raise awareness and initiate education about this disease for other staff members, potentially reducing exposure in ORs. CJD Classifications There are multiple types of CJD that perioperative healthcare providers should be aware of, including sporadic, hereditary, and acquired, iatrogenic, or variant. Sporadic CJD is the most common type, accounting for 85% of cases. Researchers believe that sporadic CJD is the result of prions spontaneously changing shape. There is no known risk factor or exposure. Patients with sporadic CJD typically die within one year of the onset of symptoms. Hereditary CJD is the result of a family history of the disease or testing positive for the genetic mutation. Hereditary CJD accounts for 5-15% to 15% of all CJD cases in the United States. Acquired CJD can be either iatrogenic or variant. Iatrogenic CJD is transmitted through exposure to contaminated tissues or surgical equipment, such as duramater grafts, contaminated stereotactic electrodes, human growth hormones, and corneal transplants. Variant CJD is more frequently identified than iatrogenic CJD. Variant CJD 
has been linked with consumption of BSE-infected beef or beef products, or from blood transfusions and plasma products. Avoidance of using bovine-based insulin is also a precautionary measure. Outbreaks of BSE in cattle occurred in England between 1984 and 1993. The exposure of the population to potentially BSE-contaminated food occurred between the years of 1984 and 1986. However, the first of the variant CJD cases in humans were not identified until between 1994 and 1996. A patient who has spent significant amount of time in Europe between 1984 and 1993 should be screened for potential risk. If a patient presents with rapidly progressing neurologic changes that cannot be explained, inquiring about the time spent in Europe during these years could shed light on the cause of his or her symptoms. Symptoms of CJD Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease presents with progressive and rapid neurologic changes, including a sudden onset of dementia. Sporadic CJD is frequently described as coming out of the blue. Early symptoms can resemble depression and include memory problems, balance changes, and visual changes. Other neurologic disorders may have similar symptoms, but progression of CJD is more rapid. The disease is also associated with ataxia, that is, loss of control of bodily functions, tremors, myoclonus, that is, jerking movements or twitches similar to seizures, visual or other cerebellar abnormalities, mutism, aphasia, that is, inability to speak, and increased depression. Diagnostic testing. It is essential that perioperative providers are aware of available CJD tests. Non-invasive testing methods potentially could decrease the need for brain biopsies while the patient is still alive. Because the symptoms of CJD are similar to other neurologic disorders, it is important to rule out possible other causes of the symptoms. A recommended mnemonic that highlights other potential causes of symptoms is vitamins. Vascular, for example, hypocoagulability testing. Infectious, for example, viral encephalitis. Toxic metabolic, for example, endocrine abnormalities. Autoimmune, for example, lupus cerebritis. Metastases or neoplasm, for example, metastases to central nervous system. Iatrogenic, for example, history of exposure. Neurodegenerative, for example, Alzheimer disease. And systemic, for example, mitochondrial disease. If results are inconclusive after evaluating for symptoms, it is important that clinicians complete the following tests to specifically rule out CJD. Magnetic resonance imaging, MRI, of the brain, including fluid attenuated inversion recovery or diffusion-weighted imaging. An electroencephalogram. The results may exhibit periodic sharp complexes at approximately 1 to 2 per second during later stages of CJD. However, early stages of the disease may not exhibit these complexes. Cerebral spinal fluid, CSF, studies for specific proteins. Recent studies have shown that specific CSF testing serves as an important diagnostic tool pre-mortem and can detect prion activity in CSF. However, the CSF must be sent to the National Prion Disease Pathology Surveillance Center to test for TAW 
and 14.33 proteins. If either test is positive, a real-time quaking-induced conversion, RT-quick test, will be completed with all the results available within 7 to 14 days. As of 2015, the RT-quick has 94.3% diagnostic accuracy. In 2014, researchers announced the development of a nasal swab test with 100% sensitivity for the RT-quick. This test will allow for a quick turnaround and less stress on patients, that is, less invasive than CSF sampling. In the United Kingdom, a prototype of a blood test for variant CJD is available, and as of August 2014, a urine test for prion disease has also been developed for variant CJD, but additional research is necessary to determine if this test can be used diagnostically. Diagnosis To diagnose a patient with probable CJD, personnel need to obtain a detailed medical history. Test results indicating an alternative diagnosis, that is, stroke, tumor, vascular obstruction, must be negative. Symptoms must have lasted less than two years. The patient needs to present with rapid and progressive dementia and two out of four of the following symptoms. Visual or cerebellar signs. Myoclonus. Pyramidal or extrapyramidal signs, that is, spasms, muscle contractions, motor restlessness, rigidity, slowness of movement, tremor, involuntary movement of the tongue or face, irregular jerky movements, or akinetic mutism. The patient also needs to have a positive result on at least one of the following tests. An electroencephalogram, that is, with periodic sharp wave complexes. CSF assay, for example, positive 1433 test or MRI with diffusion-weighted imaging or fluid-attenuated inversion recovery, that is, abnormalities in the caudate nucleus or putamen. A possible diagnosis can be made by the same symptom criteria, but without positive diagnostic testing. A definitive diagnosis can be made by standard neuropathological techniques, that is, biopsy, but is only confirmed with 100% accuracy by brain biopsy upon autopsy. Research suggests that brain biopsy should be completed post-mortem. If there is a strong possibility of an alternative cause of symptoms, and only if those symptoms can be treated, brain biopsy can be completed pre-mortem. If brain biopsy is performed to rule out CJD as the cause of symptoms while the patient is symptomatic, the procedure can further compromise the patient and potentially expose surgical staff members to CJD. Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease lesions are multifocal and require that a sample of the affected area be tested, which may be difficult to ascertain, and a negative brain biopsy result pre-mortem does not absolutely rule out CJD. The National Prion Disease Pathology Surveillance Center offers an autopsy program funded by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to assist families and clinicians with the cost and arrangement of autopsies for patients with suspected CJD. Autopsy is necessary for the accuracy of data and reporting and for advancements in research and treatment. Considerations for perioperative clinicians It is important to be proactive in protecting patients and other healthcare workers from unnecessary exposure to infectious diseases. By implementing risk management procedures and understanding the proper handling of instruments and tissues, 
clinicians can potentially decrease the transmission of CJD. Preoperative Preoperative nurses play an important role in preventing a potentially high-risk patient from undergoing unnecessary surgery. Procedures, for example brain biopsy, should only be completed on patients who have a strong possibility of an alternative cause for their symptoms, and only if those symptoms can be treated. Surgery could expose staff members and other patients to infectious tissue. By identifying patients who have or could be at high risk of having CJD, by recognizing red flag symptoms, for example, rapid and progressive neurologic changes and dementia, preoperative nurses can prevent unnecessary exposure to staff members by alerting the surgical team to take the proper precautions during surgery. The best way to accomplish this is to be knowledgeable about the symptoms of CJD and the available tests and resources. Despite the rarity of this disease, perioperative personnel always should be prepared for the possibility of exposure to CJD. Ideally, surgeons should use a CJD risk assessment tool or intake form before surgery, preferably during the preoperative office visit. However, because of the rarity of transmission events, some clinicians may not consider CJD to be a risk and may not perform screening. Some facilities in the United States have developed and implemented screening tools, but it is unclear if these tools continue to be used or if there has been any follow-up related to the results. Because CJD can be transmitted through exposure to nervous system tissue, procedures for which it is imperative to pre-screen for CJD include those involving the brain, cranial nerves, spinal cord, duramater, pituitary, and posterior eye, that is, retina and optic nerves. Procedures related to misdiagnosed ailments of an advanced and symptomatic CJD patient may include lumbar punctures, gastrointestinal procedures, abdominal surgeries, endoscopies of the gastrointestinal tract, and coronary catheterizations. Equipment and instruments used for these procedures should be considered at risk for potential contamination. The surgical team can use a screening intake form in the pre-admission testing area or the preoperative holding bay to screen for high-risk patients if they were not previously screened in the physician's office. Intraoperative. It is crucial that intraoperative personnel are aware of the procedures that may put patients at high risk for CJD transmission. Awareness of these procedures may prompt staff members who are involved with the procedures to consider using disposable equipment, possibly quarantining instruments until diagnosis is confirmed, and using extra care when handling specimens and instruments during the procedure. Multiple organizations, including the World Health Organization and AORN, have established CJD infection control guidelines that perioperative team members can follow during surgery. Equipment that is considered to be high risk includes critical items that enter sterile tissues, for example, surgical implants and instruments. Semi-critical risk equipment encounters mucous membranes or non-intact skin, for example, respiratory equipment and endoscopes. And non-critical equipment contacts intact skin, for example, blood pressure cuffs. Critical and semi-critical items that contact high-risk tissue, for example, brain and spinal cord, require special reprocessing according to established guidelines. Critical and semi-critical devices that contact low-risk tissue may be reprocessed using conventional methods. Perioperative team members should know their facility's CJD protocols and where to locate them 
and can refer to the established guidelines for decontamination of surfaces and proper handling of instruments. Risk management protocols based on current guidelines may include scheduling possible CJD procedures as last procedures of the day, dedicating a set of instruments for use on patients with high probability of CJD, quarantining instruments that come in contact with high-risk tissues after use for suspected cases of CJD, and destroying the instruments if diagnosis is confirmed. Using disposable or single-use instruments and equipment if possible, including intubation equipment. Keeping surgical instruments moist until cleaning and decontamination. Tracking the instruments used during high-risk procedures so they are not recirculated. Avoiding immediate-use steam sterilization to reprocess instruments used on a suspected or known patient with CJD. Allowing only essential equipment and personnel in the room. Covering equipment, for example, cords and foot pedals, and work surfaces with fluid-resistant disposable material. And using two bags for all specimens and labeling them clearly. Postoperative. Postoperative nurses can provide resources to both the patient and the patient's family members. Reporting possible cases of CJD is state-specific. Nurses should refer to their state's health department recommendations regarding reporting. Some states require potential cases of CJD to be reported within seven days. Perioperative personnel can refer families to the CJD Foundation and National Prion Disease Pathology Surveillance Center for autopsy arrangements. Case study. A 69-year-old woman had a history of chronic pain and multiple surgeries to her spine. Her first spinal surgery was in 1976 to remove deformed vertebrae. In 1995, she underwent a spinal fusion with cadaveric bone graft. In 1996, screws were removed from her spine. In 2009, she underwent spinal cord stimulator placement and removal. In 2012, she had a second spinal cord stimulator placed in her spine for chronic pain issues. The patient had a history of depression, migraines, and neuropathy of her left foot. She had traveled globally for several decades, spending a significant amount of time in Europe in the 1980s and 1990s. Friends and family described the patient as functioning, pleasant, and able to perform daily activities and to travel with minimal difficulty. In early 2014, the patient exhibited subtle psychiatric and neurologic changes, but these did not interfere significantly with her daily activities. She demonstrated an increased forgetfulness, withdrawal, depression, isolation, and anxiety. Her symptoms were attributed to chronic pain and medication use. In March 2015, the patient demonstrated increased sensory nerve pain and psychiatric symptoms. Her nerve pain was debilitating, limiting her ability to participate in daily activities on a consistent basis. She was constantly moaning and lip-smacking. By April 2015, the patient had a sudden loss of vision. She experienced increased episodes of anxiety and sleep disturbances. She was hospitalized, and testing was conducted to evaluate for a cerebral vascular accident. A computed tomography scan of her head produced no significant findings. Neurology, internal medicine, cardiology, neurosurgery, and ophthalmology personnel were consulted. Blood work was negative for infection or inflammatory processes. No vascular issues were detected. The etiology for the vision loss was unclear, 
so she was discharged home. Two weeks after the onset of her symptoms, she exhibited left-hand contractures, myoclonus, intermittent numbness, and paresthesias of the left side of her face and left upper extremity. She also experienced ataxia and a significant increase in dementia-like symptoms, including anxiety, hallucinations, confusion, irritability, and periods of severe lethargy mixed with insomnia. Several diagnoses were entertained, including vascular disease, cervical disc disease, and psychiatric involvement. At the beginning of June, she underwent surgery to have a nerve stimulator removed from her spine. An MRI of her brain showed mild degenerative changes, and she was referred to a neuropsychologist. The neuropsychologist diagnosed the patient with a psychosomatic disorder and referred her for psychotherapy. The family's attempts to secure psychiatric assistance were unsuccessful because of the complexity of the patient's symptoms. Two weeks after surgery, the patient was no longer verbally responsive or able to follow commands. She was admitted to the neurologic intensive care unit for 10 days. The medical team tested her for infectious and autoimmune causes, malignancy, heavy metal toxicity, nutritional deficiencies, endocrine causes, and kidney and liver function. Angiography showed no evidence of vasculitis. A lumbar puncture was completed for infectious and autoimmune processes. A repeat brain MRI demonstrated posterior encephalopathy with mild to moderate diffuse volume loss. An electroencephalogram exhibited a spike every second, a pattern consistent with CJD. She was diagnosed with probable sporadic CJD and moved to hospice care, where she died eight days later. In summary, this patient had a history of European travel during the high mad cow risk years. She underwent several spinal surgeries, including possible duramatografting. Her tests were inconclusive for any alternative diagnosis and were not the correct tests. She had new and rapidly progressing psychiatric and neurologic symptoms. She underwent surgery while symptomatic without any pre-screening, potentially exposing staff members and other patients to CJD. Equipment could not have been quarantined and reprocessed or disposed of correctly. She would have met criteria on the pre-screening tools, alerting physicians to a potential risk. This case of CJD was not reported to the health department, which would have contributed to vital data. Of equal importance as contributing to data and alerting surgical staff members of a potential risk, the family would have had answers about why their family member was declining so rapidly. Although the prognosis for CJD is always fatal, families may find themselves in a hopeless situation because their family member's condition worsens quickly and seemingly without reason. Although family members are unable to change the outcome, giving a diagnosis to a patient assists family members in providing the best possible care to their loved ones, even if it is palliative. A proper diagnosis also eliminates unnecessary testing and expense. A patient experiencing sudden dementia and psychological symptoms can be vexing for a family. Understanding what is happening may relieve fear, guilt, and hopelessness for the caretaker. A patient experiencing sudden neurologic changes, such as vision loss, gait changes, hallucinations, and irrational anxiety, may benefit from knowing what he or she is experiencing because it may be very frightening. Conclusion It is difficult to determine when patients, physicians, or perioperative staff members may have encountered contaminated equipment after a surgery is performed on a patient with CJD. 
If staff members are unaware of the possibility of exposure, CJD protocols will not be followed. Implementing education for perioperative staff members about rare diseases such as CJD is crucial. By learning more about CJD, healthcare providers will be more likely to recognize the signs and symptoms of an active prion disease. It is also imperative to screen patients for CJD before invasive procedures. Reusing surgical equipment used on a CJD-positive patient could potentially expose other staff members and patients to the disease before a positive diagnosis has been determined. It may be impossible to identify the location of all contaminated equipment if a CJD diagnosis is determined after a procedure has already been performed. Without a current understanding of the relevance of the disease, symptoms of CJD can be misdiagnosed as other diseases and treated inappropriately. Exposure to CJD can pose a serious liability and health risk to patients and facilities alike. Misdiagnosis and lack of education regarding CJD could mean the difference between life and death. Although CJD is considered a rare disease, healthcare providers need to be aware of the potential risk of CJD and take appropriate actions so they can prevent the spread of this fatal disease. Healthcare providers have the power and the responsibility to be advocates for their patients and patients' family members.